With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. If you've ever worked out with Robin Arson, the vice president of programming and head instructor at Peloton, you know she accepts nothing less than your best. She talks a lot about being fully present and committed, and that is exactly how she showed up for this conversation. We dig into her pivot from litigator to ultramarathoner and fitness instructor, the series of personal traumas that put her on this path, and how her new children's book, Strong Mama, is challenging our ideas about self-care. You talk a lot about both your parents. When you think about your mom, what were the lessons you got from her watching her about what it meant to be a woman and what it meant to be a mom? Gosh, I think I'm discovering the answer to that every single day. Mm. As I'm very early in motherhood. My, my baby is only eight months. But I think I absorbed a lot by watching my mother just create boundaries and step into her power in really small ways. For example, one of the main stories that that I latch onto that my mother told me growing up was about how when she was in high school, she went to a high school, um, a Catholic high school in Philadelphia, she wasn't really grasping the language. So she was only doing well in math, but English-based classes she wasn't doing well in. And they were going to try to put her in a trade school track that would not have allowed her the opportunity to apply for college, at least not through the traditional route. And so she basically made a bet with the Monsignor that she would have a B average in all of her classes. And she bet on herself. And there are a lot of examples in my mother's life of moments when she steps into her power as a Latina, as a woman, as a mother. And they were maybe more subtle than I realized growing up. I thought you had to be like historic with a capital mm. H. And now I find it comforting that we can create legacies that are important 
with maybe subtler, more consistent action, right. which is what I learned from her. That feels consistent with your entire theory of change. Mm-hmm. That little steps, that individual choices can lead up to bigger change. Yes. 1999, your mom is diagnosed with MS. Do you remember being told about her diagnosis, what that conversation was like, and how that shifted things in your family? Oh, gosh. So I was away at college already. I was a freshman at NYU. On the one hand, we were devastated. But on the other hand, we were a little bit relieved because MS is such a hard condition Mm -hmm. to diagnose that at least we had something to work towards, some type of solution, care, some type of framework to work with. And it took a while. It took about 10 years for my mom to get get into a groove of her care and her medicine. But thankfully, she did figure it out. But it was a lot of trial and error. I don't remember the initial conversation, but I do remember the aftermath of just being like, how is she going to be today? Mm. And I just have to accept that and be her ally and be the strong one. For me, it was a little bit more distant and that gave me even less control over something that was uncontrollable. That actually contributed to my running greatly because that was something that I could control. I could sign up for a race. I could raise money. I could get the word out on social media about this condition and what it's like to live with this condition through my mother's experience. All of my college years were really mom's diagnosis, the death of a very close family member. My cousin committed suicide. We were 18 years old. And then myself being a a victim of trauma held at gunpoint. So those few years really catalyzed a lot of change and a lot of pain. It was like a fast track Mm -hmm. into the value system that I hold dear today. It was a fast track. And in the retelling now, it is very neat, which tends to happen with public people. But it actually took a while for you to make that pivot. And there were a number of steps that took you from what seems like a a pretty long-held dream of becoming an attorney to then where we find you today. So I want to dig into that a little bit. What was it that drew you to the law in the first place? My father was a lawyer and he was also a law professor when I was growing up. So I was always enchanted with it (laughs) for some reason through his experience. And I remember sitting on stacks of blue books, which is literally there were blue like pamphlets that people used to write in to do their law exams. And I would sit on blue books and watch him grade exams and think, It was mundane, but to me, it seemed interesting because he was really wrestling with why would this person get an A? Why would this person get a B? What are the arguments that you could make with words that would have value? So I think that was my first illustration of that kind of meritocracy. And I decided at a really young age, that's what I'm going to do. So I think I was like 10 or 11 years old when I said, I'm going to be a lawyer. You know, I have a, a very similar story. My dad is an attorney. I thought I would grow up, go to law school. He's an elected official. I thought I would run for public office. And for me, it was more about hitting a wall where I realized I was just trying to replicate someone else's life mm. instead of figuring out what it was I wanted to do for myself. And you've said something that, that resonated with me, which is it's not like you go to bed one day being like, I'm going to be a litigator. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, no, that's not right. I'm going to pursue another path. <laughs> it is death, as you say, by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you can talk me through some of those moments where you begin to process that the path you are on is not the path that is actually meant for you. 
it wasn't as much in the practice of law. Mm. It was in the moments that I wasn't practicing. So I think I could have been a reasonably okay in terms of like a happiness quotient attorney, but it was in the absence of the law in the little, little small moments where I was lacing up to go for a run in the small moments where I was picking up weights, where I had the flow state that we read about. And I was like, oh, that more of that. How do I do more of that? How do I monetize that? Those were the breadcrumbs. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. What was it about Peloton that made you believe it was fitness of the future? I, gosh. Because you were right. So I'd like to know where that clairvoyance came from. I got my spin certification when I was still a lawyer, simply because I geek out and I love school. And I was like, I want to learn more about this thing that I do, you know, for fun. And so you geeked out on the science and the programming and the music and all that. So I had my certification and I had so much time, honestly, because when I left my law firm and nobody was, <laughs> shockingly, nobody was writing me back because they didn't know who the hell I was. I was teaching classes for a local spin studio and I thought to myself, gosh, this is a lot of work to teach five people sometimes. I mean, I was the newest kid on the block at the studio. And so I was teaching like 8.30, 9 o'clock at night to like two people sometimes to one person. And I willingly did it. And I was glad to have the experience. But as I started getting my groove, I thought, this doesn't make sense. There has to be a way that this scales, that my love for this can scale. So when I read a very short article about Peloton and about John Foley, our CEO, I thought, oh, okay, they've done it. 
So I believed immediately and I believed exactly how John talks about it now. I was in like I totally got it. What was it you said in that email that made him know that you were legit? So it was a cold email to like info at Peloton no. or it was PelotonCycle.com then. It wasn't even one Peloton yet because we only had bikes. <laughs> I don't even know who received the email. It wasn't to John's personal email. It was like, hello. At, at you got to find the intern um, that passed that along. There were only like 25 employees at the time. So it wasn't and we were and they all sat literally everyone sat together. So it would have been like a shot across the room. It didn't get lost in a server somewhere. But yes, to your point, I would love to dig up that email. But it was literally like, I'm buying what you're selling. I'm the one. Let's go. And I had an audition, I think, two days later. How do you go then from being an instructor to becoming the VP of programming? What was it you were doing? How was it you were showing up? that sent the message that you wanted to be a part of the infrastructure and the business of the place? So I was promoted about three years in. It was certainly my law background contributed to connecting the dots, to seeing what stakeholders needed across different areas of the company. And as the company was growing, we did need someone who was at the central point, at the nexus of being in front of the camera, being in partnership with our production team on our content team, reporting to the chief content officer, which is what I still do. The chief content officer is my boss. And then across the company, whether it's marketing products, other departments and teams within the company, giving the perspective of a fitness professional, but also as someone who experiences our product and really has an ear, ear to the ground to what our members are saying. I just did it organically. And then folks took notice. I would really own kind of the, the position of being a brand ambassador. And that's a huge part of what the instructor role is. I stepped into that very early on and leveraged that outside of the Peloton walls as well in writing my book and partnering with some of the biggest athletic brands in the world and, and doing things that are part of the job. Normally now I was doing, I was one of the first to do them. It's one of the things I find very interesting about your career, which is as a fellow left brain person, is that you are both a principal or talent in the way that you are instructor, but then also you have this behind the scenes building role. And similarly, the fact that you were both building your own platform. Robin NYC is a platform in and of itself. Peloton is adjacent to that but you're never subsumed by the bigger brand. I feel like you uniquely have found a way to allow them to live and to grow side by side. And I think that is both unique and hard to do. Did you build all of this by yourself, Robin? Like, did you sit down and write a five-year plan or was there someone who helped guide you along the way? Nobody does it by themselves, right? No, I didn't do it by myself. But did somebody guide me? Also, no. I think it's thousands of small decisions that build on themselves. And it is having an understanding of who I am and what message I want to get out there. I realized early on that I am a fire starter. I want to light fires in people's lives, whether they're engaging with me through my book, through social media, through a, the Peloton platform, through a business partnership that I have. I want to light fires and I want to use movement as a vehicle for that because I believe that movement enables us to be both at peace and on fire. 
I was very intentional. I do vision boards. I journal. I do five-year plans, one-week plans, one-day plans. I love plans. I love planners. I love journals. I love all of it. And I allow myself, you mentioned right brain, left brain. I allow myself the ability to dream as big and as fanciful as it could be and then use a work back approach. Right. Or begin with the end in mind and be like, okay, so if I really were to do this crazy thing, what would I do today right. to make that even 0.1% more real. And that is, I think, what trips people up is that folks can do the dreaming thing and they can do the list thing, but they don't necessarily meet in the middle. And I think all the right brains and all the left brains can learn something from each other, right? I think that's exactly right. You know, I found you at a pretty pivotal point in my own life where I moved from Miami to New Jersey. I'd had my second baby. I, I have my own show on MSNBC. And the feedback I kept getting about anchoring the show was that they needed more of me. Mm-hmm. I kept asking what that meant, but no one could give me a clear answer. And I was really frustrated. And then watching you lead your classes helped me understand how you have to give a little bit of yourself, right? A little bit of personal narrative, a little bit of backstory. And it doesn't have to be a confessional yeah. in, in every show. But yes, you show up because someone runs you through a rigorous ride or because you feel better at the end of, of their workout. But, but really what you're looking for is connection, mm-hmm. especially when you're doing it in a virtual environment. So I tip my hat to you because there is true mastery of that. And as a producer, I have some questions about, I mean, do you script all of that? How much are you doing extemporaneously and how much have you outlined in advance? No, it is not scripted. My classes are not scripted. No instructor's classes are truly scripted, but we do have notes. Some folks might have more robust notes than I do. I always know the class plan. Of course, I make the playlist. So I know what song this is going to be a climb or this song is going to be intervals or this song is going to be a recovery. So I know that in advance. And for certain special classes, like classes on Thanksgiving or classes that might be for Latinx Heritage Month, of course, I have themes. And those are more bullets. If I want to talk about gratitude, I'll literally just write gratitude. But everything else is truly I'm speaking in the moment. That is incredible to me. <laughs> it's incredible because you never miss a beat. You never say, I'd like a do-over. And that's the other thing, which is you're doing it live, which is like doing the crossword in pen. It is like, <laughs> you if you mess up, Great we're all watching you, which also is what part of what makes it thrilling, right? Is that it's like the stakes feel high. Yes. It's the ultimate focus. It's, mm-hmm. it's incredibly impressive. For me, the magic is in the moment. And I can feel intuitively like, gosh, that, that beat just dropped or the music dropped out. And this is the moment. And I can feel like in my mind, I can feel millions of people on the other side of that camera sweating with me and feeling that emotion with me. And I'm a member as well of Peloton. And I've been on the other side of that screen, happy, crying, grieving, joyful, all the emotions. So I get it. I really do get it. When we break through that Mm. fourth wall, I have both experienced it and then architected it, co-created it as well. It's so strange talking with you because we have such an asymmetrical relationship where I have spent so much time with you. (laughs) And I know so many of your stories, (laughs) including it feels like I watched you announce your pregnancy (laughs) and then I watched you come back. And so I feel, and millions of other people feel very tied to this story. What was your greatest trepidation about becoming a mom? Mm. You know, I bought a little bit into the narrative that like I would be giving up so much of who I am in order yep. to become a mother. And 
this whole like people would say to my husband, oh, just wait, your life is over. This like chicken little thing, which in no area of my life has that ever applied. And it doesn't apply now either. But I had this feeling like, well, I don't know. I've never been a mother. So I guess maybe that is what happens. And that's not what has happened for us. I I think we've become more of who we are and really stepped into an a vastness and expansiveness. I mean, yeah, like our time is constricted. There are definitely sacrifices and difficulties, but I'm glad I didn't let that narrative go too far in my head and realize I actually write this story. It's not been written for me yet. Is there anything since Athena's arrival that has surprised you? I am more laid back as a parent than I thought Mm -hmm. I would be. I am more um, willing to surrender to all the ways that parenthood and motherhood requires you to surrender and bend so you don't break. So that has been really interesting that my husband and I are, we're intentional. We create boundaries. Like obviously we're going to have rules in our house, but I don't freak out at every little thing. And I trust that the environment that we've created for my daughter is the right one because it's the one we've created. And she'll tell us one day what's not right, I'm sure. But I trust. And that has surprised me because I am so, <laughs> I have, I am a Virgo. I'm a former lawyer. I love lists and rules. And I just want to know at 902 what's happening, but it's literally impossible. You said something in your recent interview with Parents Latina that hit me hard because this is the way I want to show up. And I'm not sure that I always do. And that's, you said, I will show up with full presence, full intention, full energy, ready to slay, ready to partner, ready to collaborate. And I was like reading along, I was like, yes. And then of course it was like, and how do I do that, Robin? So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, exactly. If you could please teach me how, I would love to hear it. I decide which, what my primary identity is in any given moment. Literally right now, I can hear my daughter crying in the other room and I have to trust that she's with our nanny and she will be taken care of in that moment and she'll be okay. And right now I'm engaging with you as Robin, not just as mom. And I have to make that choice. And sometimes that choice is easier to make than others, but I do feel better about myself when I am not intentionally splintering myself into a million pieces. Life is going to splinter us. We are going to be fragmented in some way, shape, or form by life and all of the identities that we have, especially in this multi-hyphenate existence. But what I try to do is truly show up with the intentionality of that collaborative spirit of what am I here to do today and what's a success? How am I going to define success in this next hour? in this next 30 minutes. Literally, it's in that those small chunks. And I try to give myself grace when I go off track. But I do try to approach every hour of my day with what is the primary part of my identity that I need to honor right now. Robin, I mean, we could talk for hours. So what did I miss? Like, what have you never been asked? What do you want to talk about that you never get to talk about? I guess I don't get asked often about the importance of play. One of the best conversations I've had this year was with Lin-Manuel Miranda before In the Heights came out. And he said he wrote Hamilton on vacation. He was reading a book about Alexander Hamilton and he started to think, oh, this would be an amazing show. And boom, that was like, I mean, you're talking about like somebody's opus landing in their 
on vacation, like while you're sitting there with a Mai Tai or something on the beach, like you have your, one of your biggest, most pivotal career moments. So I, I guess I don't get asked, just talk about play enough. And I think that ambitious folks, we all know burnout is real and burnout is bad, but we still work like hell and we're still just running ourselves into the ground. And I think it's incredibly important to make space for play, not just rest, not just going to sleep at night and having a nighttime routine, but it's true play. So make time for play. I love that. And I am in need of that message. So thank you so much, Robin. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This was such an enjoyable conversation. It was great to meet you. Same. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Stephen Colon mixed this episode. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please, to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.